Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line today by my colleague, Adi Joseph. Adi, how are you? I am I am excellent this day, although it's gotten weirdly cold again, but it's a good time of year with a lot of sports going on, many that, sports. That is true. I have a little bit of a cold, so you'll have to excuse me for being totally grumpy and unexcited about sports. You know what? There was a baseball game that was actually two baseball games recently. So That was true, and I watched part of it because <laughs> I, uh, I got home extremely late. I was, I was on vacation last week. Uh, or at least for the end of the last week, and then uh, because we fly into and out of LaGuardia Airport sometimes here in New York, that meant inevitably that my flight was delayed several hours, and I didn't wind up coming home until very late Sunday night, at which point I still caught really a full baseball game worth of baseball <laughs> action. Yeah, and I think that that kind of goes into one of the things I like. So if you uh, want to yeah. start us. Yeah, so I want to start with you. So, you know, normally we had we had gone with six total things. Uh, we're in the midst of perhaps a little bit of a format change, and, and I want to test out how it goes with five things to talk about. So I'm going to give you three things to talk about, and then I talk about two things, because one of the things you want to talk about is also one of the things I would have talked about anyway. So we can just sort of condense that and get right to it. Give me something good about sports. Yeah, I think um, so. I'm a Yankees fan and uh, lifelong New York, born New Yorker who rooted for them for my whole life. And uh, I'm excited by the fact that Aaron Judge leads Major League Baseball in wins above replacement. Aaron I mean, Judge, that's crazy. That's crazy, right? Like that, that is extremely that. crazy. It's extremely crazy. He also leads Major League Baseball in like every other stat. Right, yeah. like it's all good. But I've been told that none of them matter, so. Um, well, no, that's, I mean, that's, that's not true. That's not true. But, uh, and, and like, it's, it's a little odd for a, a corner outfielder to even be in that conversation in, in terms of wins above replacement because it so heavily favors up the middle type defenders. And, and third baseman for some reason, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> So it's cool. I mean, Judge has also looked really good in right field from what I've seen, which is also awesome. Uh, but the Yankees in general are so good. And I feel like at this point, you know, okay, so so you can say, like, well, they, they've gotten out to a hot start, and they're probably not as good as they have played, uh, even if their run differential to date sort of suggests they, they certainly deserve their record. Um, even if the Yankees are a 500 team from here on out, they're still probably making the playoffs now. Yeah. Best run differential in baseball, thanks to the Orioles beating the Nationals a couple times. Um, it's uh, it's really, as a Yankee fan, it's really easy to like this team. It's so easy to like this team. Oh, I mean, it's, they've, yeah. they've, they've got, like, it's, I mean, you got Austin Romine playing pretty well, but then you got Gary Sanchez coming back. And so, like, instant two likable players, just a catcher. You got Starling Castro leading the AL in, in batting average. Judge has been great. And you know the nice the nicest thing is, you know, like this was supposed to be a rebuilding team, and so as a result, they've actually still got a whole lot of talent they're not even using yet. I mean, they've still got like a Cliff Frazier and guys who aren't even contributing, and so the future looks really bright, and they're good now. And uh, as a Yankee fan, it's probably been close to twenty years since you could say that. Yeah, I would say so, and and maybe we talked about this before the season, but I know uh, every single Yankee fan I spoke to, and I speak to a lot of Yankee fans because I'm here in New York, 
everyone was was excited about this season season even understanding that the team probably wasn't going to be that good or at least that that yeah. no one expected I thought like 86. I thought 86 wins. And I would say 86 for me I would have said that would be a <laughs> bullish prediction at the outset of the season. I would have said maybe they're an 80 win team, right? And and I'm still not saying okay, they're going to cruise into the playoffs and this is totally real because I still don't know that the pitching is really going to hold up the uh, the offense looks like it's it's legit, but I don't know that they have the pitching to sort of hang in the AL East all year. And, and, and like I said, maybe they're good enough to be 500 from here on out, in which case they, they probably do slip into the playoffs. But regardless of that, right, do, don't you kind of feel like all of this is gravy? All of it's gravy. But I will point out, um, as far as your 80 prediction, you know the last time the Yankees were under 500, Ted? It was like probably like 1947 or something. <laughs> no, no, the Yankees were bad when I was a kid, right? Was yeah, it like the, the early 90s? 92 was the last time. 1992, and, you said? Yeah. Okay. So I kind that's kind of one of the, the like the rules in my head is like you start a Yankee season predicting, even if you have terrible outlook on the team, that they're going to win like 84 games. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's fair. I mean, they've earned that. And and even, you know, last year when they traded away all their best players, they still wound up playing really well. So, like, we, we kind of have this concept in our heads that this is the rebuilding Yankees, but there's not really been any evidence on the field that it's a rebuilding period. Yeah, and it is a little bit of a um, misnomer to call it a rebuilding season because they are starting – Jacoby Ellsbury, who's thankfully played a little better this year. Um, way, start- he's played way better this year. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you know, they're starting. It's hard for me to like Ellsbury because he's was so good for the Red Sox and has been mostly so bad for the Yankees. Um, the long con. The long. You know, time. they're they're starting Brett Gardner. They're starting Matt Holiday. They're starting Chase Headley, who I you know is thirty three years old, even though it doesn't seem that way. Um, so they have like, you know, a pretty decent size of their starting lineup and, and their, their key contributors who are, if not over the hill, certainly not part of that future plan, but they now have such a clear path toward the future. And that's, what's so exciting about it. And that's why I think everyone is just every Yankee fan in the world is just really like excited about this team and like we have a reason to be optimistic long-term well and I, want, and I want to get back on that on that note to judge specifically because he went from being so i mean at least looking so incredibly overmatched last mm. season right like he just if you watched aaron judges at bats last season it was like i don't know man like maybe maybe this guy just you know maybe he's one of these guys who just doesn't have you know, whatever it takes to hit major league pitching at the, at that next level. Because he had pretty good numbers in the minors. They weren't like this, right? But it was always about, you know, the scouts say, well, the power is going to come. The power numbers are going to come. He's a great athlete for his size. There are no one no one doubts that. Uh, and, and to me, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, I was always kind of psyched about him just because of the – the pure size, like I just think it's fun to have a guy who's six foot seven and and nearly two hundred and ninety pounds playing the outfield and and being good at it, uh, you know, versus like a, an Adam Dunn who was a big dude and kind of athletic but not certainly not a good fielder and and uh, not like a, a all around type player the way the way Judge might be. But you know, I think if you I think anyone reasonable who who looked at Judge's stats in the last year, 84 at-bats though they were, which means nothing. He struck out in half of them, 
right? And, and, mm-hmm. and so it's so hard to say, like, this is the guy that's going to have the breakout season. And I think what's kind of underrated about him is that, you know, we, we see the, the hulking fi- figure and you see the athleticism. He's a smart dude. And, yeah. and I think he's a, you know, I think he's a guy who legitimately uh, worked really hard and revamped his swing. And, you know, you heard him talking about you know, swing plane and bat path, which are, which are sort of buzzwords right now. But, you know, there's, there's certainly something to, you know, changing the trajectory of your swing to hit better and hit more home runs and to, to compensate, I think, for the, the uptick in, in sinker ballers across the league from a few years ago. And now Judge, I mean, now, you know, he still strikes out a little bit, uh, but the but not at like an alarming rate that won't play. He's walking a little bit more and he is hitting like 460 foot home runs and it's so freaking awesome. Yeah, and I think on top of all of that, he, he manages to like, I don't even know what the best way to say it is, but like, I mean, for as you said with the athleticism, the guy he looks a little like Aaron Gordon, um, the NBA dunk, the former dunk contest mm-hmm. contestant from the Orlando Magic, and uh, they have they that they're almost the same height. Judges like sixty pounds heavier, but you know it's a. Um, it, I, what what really astonishes me though is he carries it so so naturally and so smoothly and like. It seems like he's the kind of guy who, um, I I guess my only worry would be the the parallels between him and Ryan Howard. Yeah, my last to say that I don't like. I mean, uh, I don't want to jinx him. Knock on fake wood that's sitting in front of me. <laughs> I mean, I can see. Well, I mean, they both have the big power. How, Howard's a little bit of a different case. I mean, just because he he came up, uh, Howard like like Judge Howard came up pretty late. Howard had like mega power numbers in the minors, which Judge really didn't show, yeah, you know, for right. all his size. Um, so Howard, I feel like it was a little bit more like everyone knows this guy's going to hit for a ton of power, and it's just a matter of like how, you know how long he lasts and and how just how much power he has. Judge, I feel like is a little bit more out out of nowhere. Like I just you know I would have yeah. said maybe he's a decent player this year. But I'm not going to say, uh, oh, by in, you know, even as early as early May, he'd still be leading the majors in more. It's just, I just would not have seen anything like this coming. Right, right. I just mean in terms of how he'll age. And that's my worry. It's like, this guy's so, so big. Yeah. I, and that's where I'm like, I, I'm really uh, excited. And he is a great athlete for that size. Yeah. And, and I how- know Dave Winfield. Dave Winfield, who um, has said on several occasions that he, he sees himself in Aaron Judge, but Dave Winfield was so much skinnier than Aaron Judge is. And, and like, that's my, my – me being a, a reborn pessimist, the, the last, like, 15 years have caused me to become a little bit of a Yankee pessimist after never being one. Um, I, I'm just a little worried about, like, Judge – so on top of the fact that he might regress back to his minor league level – um, the other the other worry would be that he just is so big and that might produce holes in his swing that pitchers eventually find, which is what happened to Ryan Howard. It might produce a lack of fitness because it's so hard to stay in shape at that size, which is also what happened to Ryan Howard. It might you know, there's well, there's yeah, just that I mean, in my in my head. Okay. I mean there's a there's a lot there, right? And I would say like certainly He's not gonna hit. He's he must be on pace to hit like seventy eight home runs or something yeah, this season. Yeah, yeah. He's not. He's not gonna seventy six. I just looked. He up should be the rookie of the year though. Um, he he very well maybe, but but he's not gonna hit seventy six home runs this year. Like I, I would, 
Uh, I mean, I don't want to make any. I'm not going to say I'm going to get it his face tattooed on me because uh, you know baseball's weird sometimes things happen but um and and also i might want that if he hit 76 home runs anyway uh but but you know he's i mean the guys will find a hole right there there will be adjustments that's just how it works once you come out swinging like this now every pitcher in the league is uh, spending all of his time before his starts against the Yankees watching Aaron Judge video and trying to figure out like what pitches got this guy to swing and miss what did he you know what did he roll over what did he pop up and and you know of course there will be adjustments uh, I would say though to the athleticism point that I don't think Howard ever had his type of you know he, Howard was a big guy but I think you're talking about different different yeah, types yeah. of athletes there uh, and I think that. I don't know. To me, Judge feels so far off the map in terms of precedent. Like you, there just aren't any dudes like this. You know, like there's there's Giancarlo Stanton, who's a who's a giant guy and who who plays the outfield, uh, and and is another person that a lot of people compare to Judge just because they're so enormous. But Stanton is much slimmer looking, you know, and like Stanton is. I, I, I don't know. It, it's it's still not the same type of body. Like Stanton, I think, is still 30 pounds or 40 pounds lighter than Judge. And so I feel like, yeah, you're probably right. Like generally you would guess, okay, well, maybe that body doesn't hold up at over time. But, but heck, man, he's 25. Maybe he, gener- maybe he develops more power. He has to move to first base, and it doesn't matter because he, he yeah. actually is hitting 60 home runs right. a year. Yep. Um, that, so, that's the ideal. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he plays in Yankee Stadium. Uh, like you said, a really, really good lineup around him. Uh, the Yankees have hit so well, and that's most of the season without Gary Sanchez to date. A bunch of guys, I think, are playing a little bit above their heads uh, and, and will obviously come back down to earth. But I think the offense is there. And, you know, I almost, and I want to move on to the next thing, but I would also say uh, even if they don't have the pitching to hold up, if they're still holding up in term in you know mid July, well then they've certainly got the prospects to deal for a top flight pitcher. Yep. Uh, yep. As bitter as that might make some of us. Um, no, but it's true. They did an awesome yeah. job, right? Cashman did an awesome job uh, yep. remaking this team. There's there's no way even no matter what happens from this day forward in 2017, it was a great move. Like the the series of moves they made last year were incredible. Uh, I think it was about time they they let Cashman do that stuff, and now he looks super rosy. Yep. Uh, I want to go. Okay, so um, I got one. And it's also a baseball thing, and it's also an outfield thing, and it also involves Yankee Stadium. Uh, but Adam Jones, a guy who's been in the news uh, for a rather grim story of uh, overhearing or being the victim of racism in Fenway Park, uh, also in a minor story and, and a much more upbeat one that I saw uh, making the rounds today. It's, it's a video from a few weeks back. But it's a video from a fan of Yankee Stadium challenging Jones to rock, paper, scissors from, from the crowd. And then Jones turning around playing and beating the fan at rock, paper, scissors. And I love it. Yeah. I think it's I, – I hadn't seen it until you sent it to me before this. But um, I think it's pretty cool. And I, I think uh, Adam Jones just seems like the kind of guy I like. Uh, I've always liked him, actually. I went to school at the University of Maryland when he was – very early in his career and so I went to a couple Orioles games early in his career and Adam Jones just is a guy that I've always liked and appreciated and I'm I'm glad baseball has a guy like that. And some of the backlash I the backlash to 
the incident in Boston, I think is so dumb that it's probably not even worth like, you know, uh, uh, giving any sort of time to, but among others, you know, Kurt Schilling comes out and says like, oh, he's lying. Not that we should take anything Kurt Schilling says seriously, but (laughs) says like, oh, he's lying. And like sort of suggests that, that Jones has like a chip on his shoulder about racism or something. And I feel like here's a video that shows like, no, no, right. Exactly. Like, no, no, no. Like like, of all the people to pick, of all the people to pick, Adam Jones seems like the best dude, right? Like, like this is a guy who is just like really enjoys playing baseball and seems like an awesome guy. And like why anyone would be like, nah, he's lying. He made that up. He just wants to create headlines. Like what, what does Adam, what does Adam Jones want with headlines involving his name and racism like what, what does he want with that why why does he want that uh he, the guy's made millions the guy like he, he has nothing to gain he has nothing to gain from just being like oh yeah some guy at family park is a, is a racist so uh, i mean look at him like this is in a another hostile environment right and, and he's not crying racism he's playing rock paper scissors with an opposing fan he's a good dude so uh put you on the spot here rock paper or scissors uh, paper. Oh, see, I'm sorry, but I was going to say scissors, so you lose. Uh, have you ever played... Uh, <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a New York Times thing, and if you ever fall down a, an internet well and, and wind up there, you will spend, like, hours upon hours playing this game. It's a New York Times, like, computerized simulation that you you start playing it in rock, paper, scissors, and then it it adjusts based on your habits to th- throw what the computer knows will beat whatever you're about to throw. And the thing is really good. Like, the thing will dominate you at rock, paper, scissors. And it's really humiliating because even if you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to go against my instincts and just pick random ones to try to mess with this thing, it still beats you. That's scary. Technology uh, scary. Yeah, Rock, Paper, Scissors, those great game. And I also want to say, like, just I feel like, you know, obviously the last few years, the stodginess of baseball has really been uh, in in focus, and, and rightfully so. But I have seen a lot more stuff like this lately, and it's cool. Like, it does – and maybe it's just that more of it is being captured on camera, and maybe this type of stuff was happening forever. Uh, and, and for, you know, in, in between, before 2007, it was just a private moment. Uh, it's not that way anymore. And I feel like I have noticed like uh, a big one is like the, the opposing outfielder catching the third out faking like he's going to throw it to a fan and then, and then running back to the dugout with it, which I think is fun. Uh, Joey Votto, like stomping on a, on a balloon, like a, like a villain is funny. Like I, I, I like, I like fans interacting with players. It's fun. It just seems like it's cool for everyone. It's unfortunate that some of the fans are racist, but when they're not, <laughs> And they're not. I think that's that's great for baseball. Yeah, I think uh, it, baseball is. It should be a fun sport, and um, and I like think... you get so much. There's so much space, right? Like there's not. There's just not a lot of time for LeBron James from the court in a basketball game to be like talking to fans, right? Like maybe it happens sometimes. Like maybe, and you do see like basketball guys like like sort of throwing shade at fans who were talking trash earlier and stuff like that, but. In baseball, there's like you have like you're standing out there for like an hour and a half with very little action, right? Like you got a lot of time to mess with people if you want to. Yeah, and I think that the other the other fun thing there is that 
baseball is just a sport for spectators. I mean, it's it's the best sport to go to, and it's not anywhere near my favorite sport. It used to be maybe, but you know, uh, I think it's the best spectator sport because you're just chilling outside on a nice day, and yeah, you get you can scream things at the players, and you have no idea if they hear you. You actually have a chance of walking home with a souvenir if you're really, really, really lucky, and I never have, but. Um, it's a, it's it's just a great spectator sport, and it sucks that some people try to ruin it. But um, I'm glad that the baseball players aren't the ones trying to ruin it. Have you ever yelled something at a baseball player and gotten the sense that they did hear you? Uh, not baseball, basketball, but not baseball. Anything good? Um, it was while I was at the University of Maryland, where we have a uh, well-known vulgar fan base. So I'm not going to repeat it on. Uh, on the For the Win podcast. <laughs> um, I had, so I went to an Expos game in like the, the second to last weekend they played in Montreal. And it was completely empty and it was a dome. So it was like, it was quiet. It was like weirdly quiet in there. And my friends and I wound up sitting in the first row behind first base. And for whatever reason, just decided to just spend the whole game yelling at Brad Wilkerson. Not not in like a antagonistic way, like just about other things that had happened in that game to, to Brad Wilkerson, and uh, including like one particular play where the opposing base runner was called safe and we believed him to be out and obviously it's pre-replay. And so like we just every once in a while would be like, hey, Brad Wilkerson, remember how out that guy was? And eventually Brad Wilkerson seemed to be laughing <laughs> along and that was that was fun for us. Uh, also, we asked him about if he remembered. I, I mistakenly identified Juan Rivera as the former Yankee Rivera who had stolen Derek Jeter's stuff. It was Ruben Rivera. Um, so I asked Brad Wilkerson if he knew that, and he kind of like looked quizzically. And then later, I corrected myself and, and remembered that it was Ruben Rivera, and I yelled all of that out to him. Ruben Rivera is a, a great ex-Yankee. Um. <laughs> he's the he's the reason they signed Mariano Rivera. Yep. Right. So they they owe him everything, and he owes them Derek Jeter's game used glove. <laughs> uh, give me your next good thing. Uh, my next good thing is tennis beefs. This is a great tennis beef. Tell me about it. And uh, so what happened was, for those not paying attention, uh, a few a few weeks ago, I can't remember the exact date. Um, Jeannie Bruchard, who's like a solid but very famous Canadian tennis player, she's very famous because. She was a hot prospect who um, came up big time. And also because some people thought she might be the heir to Sharapova's sort of blonde tennis superstar. Um, like who the, gets the tennis the star cover, who lands on the cover. Yeah, the, you know, the fashion model type tennis star. Um, so she's, she was very, very famous compared to how good she actually is. She never got past number five in the world, and now she's pretty low. Um, she called out Maria Sharapova, who was serving a PED suspension. Um, she called her a cheater, said she thought, thought she should be banned for life. And now Sharapova was in the second tournament of her comeback just recently, and uh, yesterday, actually. And her second-round match turned out to be Jeannie Bouchard. And uh, what's awesome about it was Sharapova was heavily favored. Bouchard won, and it kind of reminded me of Lily King versus... Um, Lily King versus uh, the the Russian in the Olympics in the swimming. Um, and then the other awesome part of that was it was like this such a weirdly awkward thing. And then afterward, instead of being like classy and professional and whatnot, 
Bouchard goes, I think she's been playing really well in her so-called comeback, if you want to call it that. And that's just... <laughs> I am all about being unclassy. Like, oh, just be unclassy, right? Say say it like you feel it. Just let it all out, Bouchard. I mean, you have to understand, like, this is this is a woman who, who's making her career and her life based on professional tennis. And one of the biggest named stars, a star who she probably came up modeling her game after to some degree because they do have similar styles of play to some degree, um, turned out to be using a performance-enhancing drug. And, and I don't think that the that Sharapova's case is black and white exactly, but I can understand any professional athlete being very um, aggressively negative toward dopers if you don't if you don't do it yourself and you don't know anyone personally very well who does it themselves, it's it's very easy to see like you see it as them stealing your money. And so I get that. And and I think that she was just being honest and she was being open and and Sharapova to her credit, you know, did shake her hand and did go about her business like oh, the like handshake a, though that was the best part of it for me. Yes, yes, it was a very awkward handshake. It was I mean, I would that's like underselling it. It was like a downright hostile handshake. <laughs> Right, like it was like they they shook hands per the formality, but they didn't even like they didn't even look at each other, and it was like the most like loveless handshake, the most loveless human contact you will ever see between two people who aren't punching each other in the face. Right, it was like they just like briefly met hands while both were staring in opposite directions and then yeah. walked off. Uh, yep. I love it. I love it. And tennis is always better with some beef because, quite frankly, I love tennis, um, but the men's the men's tour has been devoid of it because those guys, the the top four players, Murray, um, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, are such like kind of especially especially Federer and and Nadal are so classy and so never insult anyone in any real way. And there's never really any hostility there. And so to have, even though, quite frankly, Sharapova and, and, and Bouchard still have a ways to go to get back to where they were, um, to have two tennis players going at each other a little bit is, is, is a very good thing for the sport. Yeah, and especially since it's such an individual sport. So, like, when they do match up, it makes it extra fun. Yep. Uh, my next good thing and my second and final and our non-sports one for the day and I'll keep it brief. I just want to briefly shout out the saxophone as an instrument. I read this post, and I had never even really considered it, but uh, it was a post on a site called theoutline.com about the stigmatization of the saxophone stemming from songs like Careless Whisper and a lot of things from the 80s where it was just used in such a cheesy fashion. And and I guess all, we also sort of associate it with Kenny G, who makes the cheesiest music in the world. And I just, to me, it was an eye-opening thing because I've never thought about the saxophone that way. I have always thought, man, I wish if I had played, I played so many freaking instruments. And if I had done it all again and started at third grade and said, could say to myself, like, this is the instrument to play, I would totally be a tenor sax man right now. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I think it's a little misguided. Um, I think that article was kind of missing a couple because... Carly Rae Jepsen, proprietor of Call Me Maybe, uh, had a pretty big hit called Run Away With Me um, a couple years ago that had a saxophone. And Midnight City by M83, if you like a saxophone riff, Midnight City has an 
awesome saxophone riff and that got a lot of radio play and i think there's this one station in dc uh i can't remember the name anymore but um that used to play it and every single time they're the one of the one of the hosts that i would listen to on the way home um would be like man i just love that saxophone everyone should have a saxophone riff and like the saxophone is great and it, it is a very useful instrument and a sax solo can be awesome and uh i'm glad that there's a little bit of an 80s revision re- revival go- going on in pop music that I feel like that article maybe isn't clued in on. But see, I want saxophone, like I like an edgier saxophone. And so I would even go so far as to say it's underused in a lot of like rock music. And, and I'm, not, yeah. I'm not that up. Clarence, Clarence. Yeah, for sure. Um, for me, like the, the sax solo to end all sax solos is uh, the the one on on money on Pink Floyd by some like session guy they brought in who just like destroyed it uh, and soloed in seven and stuff and it was completely awesome. Uh, but I like that sort of like raunchy saxophone. Like it's a very it could be a very raunchy instrument. Hmm. Uh, it also works really well. Uh, and this is maybe a little bit far out for for uh, even for the course of this discussion. But uh, there there's at least one saxophone player. A guy named Scarrick, who is like musically one of my all-time heroes, who runs his sax through. Uh, he he runs an instrument mic into the sax, runs it through a guitar amp with a bunch of effects, and he can play like metal saxophone, and it doesn't sound gimmicky. It just sounds cool. Yeah, I think that I think the saxophones. Uh, I mean, I'm also a huge jazz fan, and it obviously the sax has never lost its relevance in jazz. But as that article did point out, it has. The, the revival of jazz has also brought the sax into some rap, and, and that's, that's a cool sound. Kendrick Lamar's used Kamasi Washington a couple times, and I think that there's a, there's a lot of potential for the sax in all kinds of music. It's a good instrument. It's, it's a very good instrument, and uh, I'm glad to see it getting a little bit of love. Super versatile. Do you have a favorite jazz saxophonist? Um, you know, Coltrane's an easy choice, but I really like Sonny Rollins solo stuff. So that, was, that would have been that would have been like if word for word, possibly my answer. I would have been like Coltrane is the obvious one. <laughs> Sonny Rollins is actually super dope. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm with you. All right, sweet. Uh, give me your our our final good thing of the day. Yeah, our final good thing of the day is actually also a throwback type thing. It's a uh, at the Boston Celtics being good again and being relevant, being worth talking about. And um, I'll, I'll uh, break down the simple fact that yesterday was a Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett brought all his old Celtics fan, friends, except for Ray Allen, of course, onto the TNT set that he has called Area 21 um, for a little reunion of the 2008 team that won the championship, the, the big three. And it comes at a time, two, this, right? They just had the big two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rondo was actually the third member the whole time. Right. <laughs> but no, it, it comes at a good time for the Celtics because here's the craziest thing that I can tell you about any NBA team: the Boston Celtics are two wins away from making the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. On top of that, without losing a single current player on their roster, they can have. 30, more than $30 million in salary cap space, which is more than enough to add another max player. And they have the best odds at the number one overall draft pick. And they own the Brooklyn Nets pick next year, too. And the so, Brooklyn Nets are horrible. So, and the Brooklyn yeah. Nets are horrible. So basically, you have a team that's already really, really good, number one seed in the Eastern Conference, and has all of these ways to keep improving. I think that it's... It's one of these situations where 
if they don't turn themselves into the next super team before the window kind of closes on super teams, because eventually the way the, when, 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 when everyone's caught up on the NBA salary cap, um, basically there was a huge jump in the salary cap that's going to end soon. When everyone's caught up, there's not going to be very, it's not gonna be very easy to build a super team anymore. The last few years have made it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Once, that happens. We may see may go a while without seeing a real super team, but the Celtics have a chance to set themselves up with a super team led by a rookie number one pick and another really high pick and Jalen Brown, who they have the number three pick last year. So they have a they have the possibility of adding a true current superstar to that and being really good for the next 15, 20 years. And I'm not a Boston sports fan at all. I'm a Yankees fan, obviously. But I think it's kind of cool when you see a team, maybe like the Yankees right now, um, you know, a, a historic power with a huge fan base and a very loyal fan base, getting itself back together and getting really good again. And I think that that's good for the sport. We certainly want to have other teams popping up. We want the Sacramento Kings to get back into it or the, you know, the, the Toronto Raptors to really have a great team once or something like that. It Those are good too, but... Having the Celtics, having the Lakers is good for the NBA, and I, I think the, the Celtics are carrying their end of the bargain, even if the Lakers aren't. Uh, okay, so a couple questions that you got to help me with. First off, this you mentioned the, the how much cap room they're going to have and how good of a team they, they, they have. Is this something people, like, like we said with the Yankees, is this something people saw coming? Or like, was, is this the product of a really good design, or have they gotten a little bit lucky here? No, a lot of it's Danny Ainge just being a really savvy trader. And um, so much of it is that they gutted the Nets. When they, when they traded uh, when they traded Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and um, Jason Terry to the Nets. Kevin for, Garnett was like 87 years old Yeah, at the time. for three, three future unprotected first-round picks. And, uh, you know, just absolutely devastated. The Nets, because they basically had two good years with those guys, and then it all fell apart. And the end result is that the Celtics now own the Nets' future, and the Nets don't really have um, any chance of winning in this near future. So they're going to be, they're going to be, they cycled themselves into bad. But there was also some other little moves, like they got Isaiah Thomas for nothing, and they got uh, Al Horford to, to come in in free agency. Uh, you know, it was. Jay Crowder they got for very, very little, trading Rajon Rondo, who was miserable in Dallas. So all these little moves really paid off for the Celtics. And I think that it's a, it's a sign that Danny Ainge is not someone you really want to make a trade with. But it's also a sign that you know that there's still certain loopholes in, in, in the NBA that still allow teams to create a super team if you just make the right trades and, uh, and you find the right players in the draft, which is another thing the Celtics have done. If they do wind up with the first overall pick and going after a max free agent, do you have any sense what that looks like? Who are those guys? Oh, it, it, it could be – I mean, it could be Gordon Hayward and Markel Fultz, and they could let Fultz sit behind Isaiah Thomas for a year and then just let Thomas walk in free agency next year when he'll be – Isaiah Thomas is going to hit free agency next year at age 29, and he's five foot nine, and – 
what we know about short players and how they age is that they don't tend to age that well. I mean, you got You need to have like elite speed, right? To be, yeah, yeah, right. So if once he loses his elite speed, so what the Celtics could do is they could get Markel Fultz the, or or Lonzo Ball or De'Aaron Fox or whoever they want uh, at the number one, you know, with their first pick, and they could they could do that. So that they have a point guard of the future, and then just let Isaiah Thomas walk in free agency if they want, or keep him and get him to sign a smaller contract than he might other otherwise, and just say, you know what, we've got this incredibly stacked. We've got one through twelve. We've got better players than just about anyone in the league, and you know, all they really need is that superstar level player, like a Gordon. And, not even like a super duper star. They they could be very very good if they had a Gordon Hayward right now, or if they had, uh, you know, a, there were a lot of rumors about Demarcus Cousins. Um, they Paul Millsap would make some sense for them. If they can just get one more player who's on an all star level, they can be good enough to at least push the Cavs. They're, they would they they'd have a much better roster than the Cavs. It's just that the they don't have LeBron, and there's no answer to LeBron. So. Uh, that's where they're at right now, and that's the Celtics have the most, I think, arguably the most exciting future in all of sports, um, the way that they've structured themselves. Final question before we wrap up. Why can't that ever be the New York Knicks? <laughs> because they don't have Danny Ainge running their team. Because... They have they have maniac after maniac, and then Donnie Walsh for one year, and then another maniac, and then another <laughs> Why? Just why? I'm sorry. That's you know, it. Uh, so much of it's ownership in sports. And that's one thing that I always hate to tell fans, um, not just in the NBA, it's but like, in all sorry, Especially Knicks fans. It's like, sorry, but as long as the Dolans are running the ship, the right. ship is it sinking. Sucks. It slowly sucks. sinking. It's like Bulls fans. Bulls fans just know Jerry Reinsdorf owns our team. And therefore, like, they're going to cut certain costs. They're not going to fire Paxson and, and Foreman because the, they're their loyal as hell to Reinsdorf. And so that's kind of just the reality that you have to deal with. I mean, it's certain owners are very cheap in baseball. It's the worst. Thank so much that Jeffrey Laurie is out. Uh, because We're Jeffrey, not Laurie, out yet. he's not out yet. I mean, will be, will be soon because Jeffrey Laurie, like that's just abrasively awful to be a fan of a team with a really, 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 really bad owner who's cheap and doesn't, and baseball empowers those bad owners more than any other sport by not right, having, there's a no salary money. floor, right? Um, and and baseball has so much revenue sharing that they they profit off not oh. spending on their team. But my, uh, I just I got nothing. I got nothing on the Knicks other than that they're an embarrassment. Yep, it's hard to like a team with a bad owner though. That's like what I I, I always point to. And you look at the, the 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 franchises that are consistently bad for years. Usually, you can point to ownership. And they and like the when I think of like the most incompetent franchises in sports, they're all the same ones I grew up rooting for. <laughs> it's like really incredible, right? Like the Jets. What are, like what are the Jets, the, the Knicks, Jets. and the Islanders doing for you lately? I guess the Islanders have been good, but I they, I'm off that ship. I lo- they lost me years ago. <laughs> the uh, the the New York Mets have. I, I, there's like an alternate history where the Bernie Madoff scandal, the Madoff scandal doesn't happen, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's not, that's not the real history though. In the real <laughs> history, it totally did happen. And they were like, had no idea it was coming supposedly. Uh, uh yeah. And then, uh, yeah. 
They they keep the guy employed after he rips his shirt off and tries to tries to fight the minor leaguers, even though yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot in all of this. We we don't have time for any of it. <laughs> yeah, good talking to you anyway. You can check out the For the Win podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher. Adi is on the internet. Adi, where can we find your stuff? Um, well, you can go to ForTheWin.FTW.USAToday.com. I will do that. Um, but you can also find me on Twitter individually at Adi Joseph. That's A-D-I-J-O-S-E-P-H. Or on Facebook at Adi Joseph NBA. I will do both of those things, and, and listeners should do that as well. Adi, uh, thanks again so much for joining me. Thank you. Peace out.